official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. My dad was the same as well. My dad was definitely the same. And so there's a, there's a thing, there's a connection between what we do and having a motivation. We, we kind of want to feel what we do and, and say it's authentic. We want to be genuine. We want to make sure that our actions flow from the heart. And as Christians, that's very true. Definitely very true. I got a little feedback there. Um, does anyone know what showbiz pizza is? No? You kind of know? It's yeah, it's the old Chuck E. Cheese, okay? You know what Chuck E. Cheese is? When I was a kid, back then, there was showbiz pizza. And so one of my birthdays, probably age four or five, was at showbiz pizza, and it was lit, okay? It was awesome. And here's the, here's the best part. Um, I was so happy that day because I was getting all these cool toys. I was getting... Uh, a Rambo playset. Ba- back in the 80s, Rambo was in, right? And so back in the day, it was also really cool to give your kids uh, mach- toy machine guns and rubber knives. And I had this big Rambo knife, and I got it that day. I still remember it. And the machine gun, very inappropriate in today's society, some people say. But hey, I'm not, I haven't killed anyone. So. Uh, but I loved it. And I got all these cool toys, and up walks this couple who's a friend of the family, and they have this present for me, and they're really happy. And they give it to me, and I unwrap it. And it's a T-shirt and a hat. And it's a, it's a He-Man T-shirt and a He-Man hat, which is still pretty cool. But I was so excited about toys that I just wanted another toy, you know? And so I made a face, and I was kind of like, eh. Like, I don't... My parents lost it. <laughs> they lost it. Like, because not only am I doing something bad, I just embarrassed them, right? Like, that's super embarrassing, so they scolded me there, and they told me, you're always thankful, you're always thankful. And, and I never forget that lesson, because that day I learned that I needed to be thankful even when I didn't feel like it. So there's this thing, there's this struggle that we have as people where our actions have to be genuine, they have to be authentic, but sometimes we have to kind of force ourselves to a new authenticity that we're not experiencing. As well as I didn't understand it at that moment, I did come to understand it later on. It wasn't that I was being a hypocrite by saying thank you. It was that I was being thankful. You don't have to like what just happened to be thankful, right? Being thankful is understanding that this experience has benefited you, whether you're enjoying it or not. And that was a key moment for me. It was so important, and to this day, I'm very thankful, because if not, I can almost feel my mom's breath on me, like, no te atreva, you know, don't you dare not say thank you. This series is the Great Commission. Why am I talking about authenticity and being thankful and sometimes doing what we don't feel like? Because part of the Great Commission, in a sense, is about doing things that we sometimes don't feel like we should do, but we know are beneficial to others and to ourselves. So I'm going to say that again. Being part of the Great Commission is making sure that sometimes we obey and do things that are uncomfortable, that don't feel authentic to us, but that we know are beneficial to others and ourselves. The very first thing that Jesus did when he's leaving his disciples is give give them the Great Commission. And so Jesus commands his disciples to go and make other disciples. 
in that bullet point, I want you to notice that he's commanding already disciples to go and make new disciples. That's important. And so here's the Great Commission, uh, Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. It reads, go, therefore, and make disciples. Now, who did he say go to? To current disciples. He said, go, you disciples. Go and make disciples. That means make other disciples. Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of age. Our focus today is on that second verse of the Great Commission. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now here's the thing. He's sending disciples to go and make other disciples. And to make those disciples, you have to teach them to do what he commanded. But how can you teach them if you don't do it? How can you teach them to do the things he commanded if you don't do it? I'm a math prof, and so if I stand up in front of class and I can't solve the equation they're supposed to solve, that's kind of that's a problem, right? <laughs> I need to be able to do what I'm teaching. I need to be able to walk the talk. And so if I'm talking about making sure that people uh, learn the commands of Jesus, I have to teach them to obey, to observe all that he has commanded. I must do that as well. The, the Current disciples in making new disciples must, must teach them to obey, not just in word, but in action. Not just in word, but in action. So what qualifies me then for that? I, mean, I need to be a disciple that obeys. I need to be a disciple that obeys. Disciples of Jesus obey his command to love our neighbor. Disciples of Jesus obey his command to love our neighbor. In John 13, verses 34 through 35, Jesus tells the disciples one of these commands that he later in the Great Commission tells them to teach. Here's the command. He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You can't separate this verse from the Great Commission verses. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. That's their credential to teaching others to obey. If we are disciples that want to go and make other disciples, we have to walk the talk. And to walk the talk, there it is. We have to love others. And here's the catch. We've talked about this in another sermon series. He tells them it's a new commandment. The part of loving others wasn't new. It was the premise that says, just as I have loved you, just as I have been willing to die for you, just as I was praying that maybe there was another way for me to save you, but the Father said, you still have to die for them. That's Radical love. That is radical love. That's the new part of this commandment. It's not to love one another. It's to love them as Jesus loves us. That is uncomfortable. That is disturbing. That gets in the way of your enjoyment. That gets in the way of your Saturday, your Sunday. That gets in the way of your free time. 
Because loving others as you love yourself, yeah, that's, that's actually pretty awesome. But loving them the way Jesus did, where he did something that was beyond uncomfortable to him, that's a big challenge. And I'm preaching this to myself. This is a big challenge. Where am I seeking comfort instead of loving others? If I want to go and make disciples, I must make sure that I am seeking the lack of comfort of serving others. It's going to mess with my enjoyment. It's going to mess with things that I want to do with my free time. I have to be willing to love others as Jesus did. So preach, but preach to myself too. Because I need to learn it, okay? Hashtag preach. I need to learn it. The, lo- the call to love our neighbor is difficult and inconvenient. The call to love our neighbor is difficult and inconvenient. So before I continue, I'm going to recap what we've said. First, Jesus gave us a commission to us as disciples, go and make other disciples. Second, he said that when we're teaching them as disciples to become disciples, we have to teach them to obey. We have to teach them to do the things that a disciple does. And that's the command to love our neighbor. And so we realize that when he tells us to love our neighbor, he tells us to love them the way he loved us. So we finally arrive at the call to love our neighbor is difficult and inconvenient. This is something Pastor Jason has been talking with me for a while. This sermon was inspired by God through some of the things that he had been talking and thinking about. And curiously, as we were praying and thinking about these subjects, an article showed up the other day on one of my favorite websites, uh, Desiring God. The name of the article is How to Love When You Don't Feel It. How to Love When You Don't Feel It. Okay, Remember, today so far in the bullet points, what we've seen is Jesus is calling us to love and to obey, especially when it's inconvenient. So how to love when you don't feel it. And this was by Greg Morris, again, on the DesiringGod.org website. And here's what he wrote. I'm not going to read the full article. I'm just going to read the intro to the article. He says, Recently, I attended a book club discussion on C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. Kind of a classic staple book. Several weeks into the study, the otherwise docile Lewis enthusiast suddenly seemed to switch from waving palm branches to crying crucify him. The coup was sparked by the following principle found in his chapter on charity. And this is what the quote of C.S. Lewis read. The rule for all of us is perfectly simple. Do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. Do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. Blasphemy, cried a few, as one man attempted to rip his Ralph Lauren polo. (laughs) This, their self-appointed leader asserted, reeks of a fake-it-till-you-make-it mentality, one which cannot be tolerated within the Christian conception of love. Inauthentic love is not love. If you do not feel like it, you can't do it. My rule is to keep it 100. My rule is to keep it 100. The Shakespearean mob grew louder, and one complaint feeding another. The main problem later on the article reads, with a wait-until-you-feel-it love is that it comes more from Hollywood than the Bible. It comes from Hollywood, not the Bible. It fundamentally undermines the two greatest commandments Jesus gave, the command to love God with everything and others as ourselves, 
I add the, 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 the footnote that says actually to love others as Jesus loved us. And it often assaults this kind of love, oppresses our, na- our natural cravings and inconveniences our self-actualization. So it's an inconvenient love. It's an uncomfortable love. And you don't wait to feel like loving the person on the street who needs food. You don't wait to feel like, ah, I, I want it to flow naturally from the heart. You don't wait to feel that to go and help people at a shelter. I'm preaching to myself, okay? I'm preaching to myself. This is something I'm working on. So again, the mentality of I have to feel it first to get it authentic, that's not the way the Bible calls us to love others. It means this is uncomfortable. I don't know if I trust this person, but I'm going to give him a couple bucks, or I'm going to go buy him food, or her food, or I'm going to go and help at a shelter, or I'm going to go and help uh, people that I'm not exactly comfortable around. That's the true love that doesn't feel like the emotional Hollywood love. It is a love by decision. It is a love that stems from obedience to the call that Jesus gives us. That's the type of love that we're called. It's an inconvenient, uncomfortable love. We said that our bullet point was the call to love our neighbor is difficult and inconvenient. So let's read the best story that Jesus gave us that illustrates this. The Good Samaritan. We're going to go to Luke Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Before I read it, I want to give you a couple of, a, a few info aspects of the characters in the story. One of them in this story is a priest. The priest, that means this person was a descendant of Aaron, and he was responsible for things at the Jerusalem temple. So he had to go to the temple, the temple in Jerusalem, and he had duties and responsibilities there. So that's one character in the story. The other character in the story is a Levite. The Levite was like the altar boy. The Levite assisted the priest. Okay? The Levite was, uh, of course, a descendant of the tribe of Levi, but also he was there to make sure that he assisted the priest. So these are people that go and do the love of God every day. These are people that they're satisfying some requirement they feel in loving their neighbor and loving God above all. And then there's the Samaritan. Samaritans, as Pastor Jason shared last week, were outcasts. Have you ever wondered why Samaritans were outcasts? They were kind of like half-breeds. They were originally not part of the Israel uh, country. They were originally not part of the Israel nationality, rather. And in Israel's different moves throughout the land, basically at some point, there's an intermarriage. And that means that Samaritans bring their customs. So here's the problem. Samaritans eventually become half-breeds with with Jewish people, but also they're intermixing religious practices. So Israelites do not like Samaritans. They see them as a pollution to the breed and to their customs. Get that. They see Samaritans as bringing horrible idolatry practices to their religion, and they see them as polluting their very own race. Kind of rings a bell with today, man. Kind of rings a bell with today. So let's read this story. 
And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, and him is Jesus, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he desired to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? This is the part where Jesus makes it a new commandment. Even here, even though he doesn't expressly say, say it. But he tells us at this, from this moment on that to love a neighbor is inconvenient. Loving a neighbor is inconvenient. Let's read it. A man was going down, Jesus replied. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. There goes the priest on his way to the Jerusalem temple to do his awesome, religiously accepted stuff. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Again, the Levite, kind of like the altar boy, assists the priest on what he must do. But a Samaritan, an outcast, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Jesus then asked this lawyer, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. It's a powerful story and it convicts me because I know how many times I've been the priest. You know? I know how many times I've been the Levite. And we have to... We, we shouldn't feel like, oh, man, God is mad at us. No. We talked about the fact that God is a God of grace and he embraces us like the prodigal son. All we have to do is walk as he wants us to walk. God is not upset at us when we realize that we should act a certain way. When we realize that, it should pump us up. It should get us stoked. It should get us motivated to go and love others. Man, I failed that last time. I'm going to get it right today. Praise God for God's grace, for His loving mercy, for His mercies every day. He forgets my sins and empowers me when I seek to do it. What He empowers me, motivates me, and moves me to love upon others when it's inconvenient. It says there, this Samaritan had compassion, but I can assure you, he was afraid for his life. The road, to Jericho, the road of Jericho, that was a treacherous road. Robbers, as you just saw, uh, took advantage of a man. But more importantly, it was a risk for the very Samaritan to do what he did. I'm sure he was afraid. I'm sure he was asking, should I even do this? I'm an outcast. Why should I do this? So think about the fact that love is inconvenient. 
because this person, this Samaritan, used his own animal, in today's society, that's our car, put him, in his, put him on his animal, took him to an inn, a hotel, make sh- to make sure that he was en route to recovery and to be well. Took money out of his pocket, said, I got you. That's amazing. That's the type of love that makes me shiver with joy because, man, I know that that's what God did for me. The uncomfortable, inconvenient love of a neighbor is only mirroring that that Jesus did for us. Today, in the remainder of this sermon, what we're going to see is that it's not just in theory that Jesus did this. It was inconvenient for Jesus. It was uncomfortable for Jesus. He would have preferred to not be on the cross and absorb the sin of man. Literally upon him, the guilt. He would have preferred. But because he chose to obey, because he chose to have a love that goes beyond feeling it, but rather just obeyed, something amazing happened. He saved us. Now here's the thing, we love this in society, we just love having that authentic, my actions flow from what I'm feeling, and, and, and here's, here's the thing about that type of mentality. The truth is that as a Christian, loving our neighbor, here's what we learn. At first, loving our neighbor is not an emotional love. It's not a Hollywood love. At first, loving our neighbor is not an emotional love. At its core, it is an act of obedience since there is tension between the flesh and the spirit. As a Christian, there's a war in you. There's a war between the flesh desires that you have, the sinful desires, and the desires that the Holy Spirit has endowed upon you. The Holy Spirit is making you a new person with new emotions that will eventually come. Good emotions of joy, peace, love, patience, kindness. The Holy Spirit has given you those emotions And they're in the progress. It's a work in progress. But at first, there is tension between the spirit and the flesh. So I cannot rely on my emotional capabilities to obey. I must obey. And I must pray to God that he equips me by the spirit to obey. Because there is a war in me and I cannot trust my feelings. Galatians 5, 16-17 tells us this recipe and also clarifies that there's a war in us. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And here's the key verse. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. And here's what's curious. I've read in commentaries that that phrase, to keep you from doing what you want to do, is a twofold phrase. Sometimes you want to follow the desires of the Spirit, but then the flesh tries to keep you from doing what you want to do. And sometimes you want to follow the desires of the flesh, the sinful desires, but the Spirit is trying to keep you from sinning. We can't trust our emotions. We can't. There's a tension. We must seek to obey the command. As we walk by the Spirit, we continuously are renewed day by day into more natural, outflowing emotions of the heart. And 
please keep that in mind. Galatians 5 and Romans 8 are great chapters that tell us about how we're given new emotions, new feelings to love, and a new person comes out of that. That is true. But we have to love upon others when we do not feel it. If there's a takeaway for you today, it is that. That you have to love upon others even when you don't feel it. The example set by Jesus is that of an inconvenient and unconditional love. This is where we take our cue from. Jesus did it that way. He loved upon us even when it felt bad, when he didn't want to do it, when there was conflict, when there was tension in him. We're going to see three passages as our last bullet point here, as a support to this last bullet point. The first one is in Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, we're going to read through verses 39 through 45. Let me give you the setting. Jesus is about to be handed over to be eventually crucified. And Jesus is praying. Why is Jesus praying? Because he doesn't want to be crucified. He doesn't want to. He loves us, but it's rather inconvenient Not even the physical part of the crucifixion, but to feel the guilt of my sin, Ricardo. But to feel, it's inconvenient for him to feel the wrath of God because of my sin, because of Pastor Jason's sin, because of Mark's sin, because of all of our sins. That's inconvenient. The physical pain, secondary. The wrath of God for all of our sins. That's the part that Jesus is struggling with. Let's read. And going a little, f- uh, a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He's referring to the crucifixion. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The Spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak. He's preaching to them a concept that we're learning from Jesus right now. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, if they cannot be saved unless I die for them, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Three times. Not once. Three times he prayed. He really wanted to find another way. Is there another way, Father, that doesn't involve your wrath upon me, your Son? That doesn't involve the wrath upon the one that you said I am pleased with, the Son, the incarnate Word of God. He has to absorb all of our guilt, and he's asking for another way. There is no other way. He obeys, even though he doesn't want to go through it from a flesh perspective. He focuses on what he must do, the joy set before him. We're going to see two more passages. In case you're not convinced, 
Because some people might think, well, okay, he prayed three times, now he feels like it. You know, he prayed three times, and now he feels like, okay, I'll go and die for them and take the wrath. I feel like it now. I'm okay. Let's go. This, the time of the Son of Man has come. Two more passages to convince you that this was a constant state of mind with Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. Often the beginning verses of Philippians chapter 2 serve as a reminder of how we should be humble because Jesus was humble. But it also shows you here that he had to obey and do something that he didn't want to do. That's humility. It says in verses 4 through 8, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind, you see how even when we're talking about Jesus and what he does, he's, he's, they're showing us what we should do as a response, right? Don't look out for your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let's keep reading. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And here it is but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming, keyword, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Obedience. We obey the command to love others because Jesus did it, and we obey it even when we don't feel it. You're still not convinced. You still don't believe me that this was hard for him that he really wanted another way. Let's go to Hebrews 12, 2. Hebrews 12, 2. In chapter 12 of Hebrews, on the second verse, Paul, Paul or the writer of Hebrews, because they're not sure who the writer is, says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, here it is, here it is, for the joy that was set before him endured, endured the cross, despising the shame. Despising the shame. He didn't go down happy. Despising the shame. And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, there's something beautiful about this. Not only are we seeing that he loved when he didn't feel like it, he loved when he didn't feel like it because he saw the long-term goal. Our obedience is much like that. We love when it's inconvenient and when we don't feel it because we see the long-term goal. Just like Jesus did. It says, because of the joy, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. This is called delayed gratification. I will suffer now because I know what comes later. We use this. Even in secular society, we use this, right? We go and get degrees, bachelor's degrees, uh, master's degrees, associates, PhDs, or we work hard for our business or at the job that we're at. We do things because of the long-term goal. We're not enjoying the process. We're not enjoying the work. But we endure it because of what we know that will come, the long-term goal. And that is exactly a model that Jesus passed on to us. He endures 
what he does not want to go through because of the joy set before him. Not only is he glorified afterwards, but we are saved. He makes us a son and daughter of God by adoption because of what he did, because of his obedience, because he chose to love us when he didn't feel like it. I am moved by this because I know that I can do better. And so the challenge that I think God has for us, because this isn't my message, this is his. The challenge that God has for us today is where are we seeking convenient loving of neighbors? Where are we seeking convenient love of neighbors? Where can we actually love inconveniently and unconditionally the way he did for us? And it's a simple act, maybe on the week, maybe every day, maybe every once in a while when the opportunity shows up and we don't act like the priest that walks by. The opportunities will be there. And if you're me, you know that I have been the priest. I have been the Levite. But thanks be to God for His blood that cleanses me and now moves me so excited in the grace of God that I've been forgiven, that it's done and said for, that now I want to do what He did for me. Don't walk away feeling bummed out. That is not the purpose of today. The purpose of today is, wow, despite all the times that I failed to love my neighbor, Jesus died so that I'm forgiven. Okay, I want to do what he did for me. I want to do that for others. I want to love unconditionally. I want to go out of my way to love others. I want it to feel a little weird. I have OCD. And sometimes when I get close and touchy with someone that seems like he's been on the street for a while, I have to go later to my car and put hand sanitizer on my hand. (laughs) But here's the thing. Did I choose the hand sanitizer or not to touch him? (laughs) Who cares if I used hand sanitizer? Did I love upon him? Did I, did, I, did I feed this person? Or did I sit in judgment or just walk by? Again, let's close with this as the band comes up. Don't feel guilt-ridden. On the contrary, the grace of God moves us to love the way he loved that gave us that grace. He gave us a grace through the way that Jesus loved us. He gave us that grace in the way that Jesus loved us. So let us do the same. Let's go out of our way. Let's do the impossible for our OCD minds. (laughs) Let's do the impossible for going out of our way sometimes to feed someone or to help someone or to volunteer. I pray that you're as joyful as I am, not because of guilt, but because, man, I want to do what he did for me. Let's pray. Father, your love was inconvenient. You had to send your son to die on a cross. Jesus, your love was inconvenient. You had to love us by absorbing the wrath of God because of my guilt. Thank you for that. Thank you for that grace, for dying in my place, for dying for my sins. That re- may that release me now and empower me to love upon others the way that you loved. Not just to love as we love ourselves, 
but to love the way you loved us. That's the command you gave us as disciples. If we're going to be a Great Commission church, we need to preach both by word and by action. So I pray, Lord, we pray before you, Lord, that our actions would be in line with that, in line with obedience, even when we don't feel like serving others. Because that way, the gospel will reach the ends of the earth. The Great Commission will be fulfilled. Because people will know we are your disciples when we obey, even when we don't feel like it. And in the process, we will make other disciples. Bless us. And as the ushers come forth, we pray that the tithes and offering would be multiplied. That they would serve the very great commission that we speak about in these weeks. That they would serve to reach those that are hurt, broken, and lost, addicted, and in pain, much like we also have fallen condition. May it reach the people that have not known the grace of Jesus, the saving grace that says, I don't have to earn it, He does. He's earned it for me in an inconvenient love. I pray that you would multiply the tithes and offerings, not for gain for us, but for gain for your kingdom. May people come to know you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.